Five, four, three, two, one. Bazinga. Bazinga. Sam Houston, and I'm joined once again by my wonderful co-host Lewis. Today we're going to be looking at three films that have all been released recently. We're going to be looking at G.I. Joe Origins Snake Eyes, the new spin-off of the G.I. Joe fran- uh, franchise starring Henry Golding. Uh, we're going to be looking at Don't Breathe 2, the sequel to the much-loved 2016 horror film. See Stephen Lang taking up the role of a blind X-Forces soldier uh, once again. And we're also going to be looking at the new Ryan Reynolds-led kind of sci-fi comedy, Free Guy, which sees a NPC, a non-playable character in a video game, become self-aware and realise that he just exists within the confines of a computer game. Uh, The three big films we're going to do this week, we're also going to be looking a little bit at The Courier, which is a new Benedict Cumberbatch-led true story of some Cold War espionage involving a normal person being roped into the goings-on of the, the battle against the Soviet forces in the 60s. Um, so before we get into the films, uh, as always, I uh, just want to ask you, how are you doing today, Lewis? Uh, I am well, thank you. I'm good. How are you? Uh, I'm doing I'm doing well. I've got a bit of a sore throat. I don't know if you can tell. Um, so I'm not going to be talking at my normal volume. Hopefully it's nothing serious um, because I've got a very busy week ahead of me. I've got uh, Reading Festival next week. Um, it would be, be going... it would be tragically funny if you had COVID just before you were meant to go to Reading and you couldn't go. That would be very very annoying. That would be a waste of three hundred quid. So <laughs> I, I'd like to say that it wouldn't be funny at all. Um, but I'm going to be going on Wednesday and I'm going back on Monday. Um, so that means that we're not going to be having a podcast uh, recorded at that time, of course. So, of course, the millions of now showing listeners around the globe that calm down, don't cry. We have got an answer for you. The Shakespeare episode that we keep talking about, uh, we're going to pre-record that and we'll get that out during my time at Reading. Um, but more importantly, I've actually got Millwall away on Tuesday and any football fan knows that Millwall is a very dangerous place to go. So there's, there's a good chance that actually the tragedy will be me getting stabbed the day before going to Reading rather than getting COVID. Um, have you got anything, have you had anything exciting happen this week? Have you got anything exciting coming next week? What's going on in the wacky world of Lewis? I, I, the world is not wacky for me. I've not had an exciting week and I don't have an exciting week next week that <laughs> I know of, unless something happens. Wow. I'm not going to Reading, certainly. Well, if you would be going to Leeds, I guess, if you were going to go, like, yeah, because it's the northern equivalent, what's the point of coming the whole way down to Reading? And I think that's the, I'm, I'm happy about the existence of Reading and Leeds, because it means that it's been created, especially so that northerners and summoners don't mix, because um, I'm sure they wouldn't want us there, and I'm sure we wouldn't want them there. So I think it's the yeah, existence of the two identical festivals, it's, it's a smart idea, to be honest. It is, yeah, that's, that is a good thing. Good point. Now... Um, talking of Northerners, uh, there's a dastardly scouser was supposed to originally come on, our horror correspondent Brandon, um, which means that we would have done, uh, each of us would have done two of the three films. Uh, unfortunately, he's unable to come here in the end, which means that I'm going to be looking at Don't Breathe 2 and 
the courier on my own uh, and you're going to be looking at snake eyes on your own um because yeah. we haven't seen you know the films that we're not doing but we are going to all both be doing free guy to get together because that's the, kind of the big film this week that's the, the film that's kind of biggest in cinemas the most packed the hardest to get to um and also came out uh, i believe uh, both here and in america which i think you know i'm not i think gi joe came out last week i think in america um, i think it came so, out before you know, yeah yeah, yeah, but you know, this is the big film internationally. It's really yeah. guy, um, and you know, I think because it's interesting premise, and of course, because of its star power, it's not only you've got uh, him, but it's also got Ryan Reynolds. It's also got Joe Keery from Stranger Things and Taika Waititi, and yeah. But I'm talking about the films already. Um, before we talk about those films, of course, we need to do the weekly segment, which is what did you watch this week? Uh, I've not had a very like I said I don't I don't know particularly what's going on with me in the minute but I've not been in the mood to watch stuff I've not been to the cinema to watch anything other than the films that we're covering this week and I haven't been up to much I have rewatched Grace and Frankie on Netflix because some new episodes dropped of the last season so I've rewatched that and that's great and I recommend that to everyone who's watching it and I also watched for the first time The Old Man and the Gun which was Robert Redford's last film. And I watched that, and it was about this old man who is a bank robber, and he robs banks, and uh, it's about the police trying to catch him, but he's a very polite bank robber, and he's in a relationship with someone. And I thought it was really, really good. At times, it did get uh, to be a... Because it was his farewell film, it did kind of feel a little bit like it was too much of a goodbye to him. Like, it was. there's a difference between paying tribute and then just randomly throwing things in there. Uh, like at one point there's literally a montage that features some of his older films that makes sense in the context of the film, but it's just like, it's a bit yeah, like it didn't really serve the narrative that much. It just felt like they were prioritizing paying tribute to Robert Redford rather than telling the story, but it was great. It was, and I did have a lot of fun watching it and I think it was, it's an easy watch. It's not that long and I think you should check it out. That's literally all I've watched this week. Yeah, um, for me, um, a lot of what we've, like, originally I watched The Courier and I was going to talk about it here, but we realised, oh, you know, I can get a mini review out of that. So that would be something I'd talk about normally. Um, and also I watched the original Don't Breathe, but I think it makes more sense for me to tackle that during the Don't Breathe 2 review to kind of contrast between the two films. Um, but I will talk about, um, a film that I watched on telly the other day, a film that has no right to be as good as it is. And I'm sure you, I don't know if you've seen it, but if you have, I'm sure you'll agree it should not be this good. But the 2004's The SpongeBob SquarePants movie. Yes. My, oh my, what a film that is. Of course, it I've really seen doesn't, the SpongeBob it, movie. It doesn't need, it, why is that film so good? SpongeBob SquarePants, you know, it's not that good. I mean, it's, it's funny and it, the early seasons are good, but it wasn't doing great at the time or anything. But it just absolutely knocks it out of the park, man. That film is so good. I have not seen that um, in such a long time. It was on like ITV the other day and I just, I just popped it on and just laughed my head off and, <laughs> you know, the, the um, David Hasselhoff cameo in it and the big Cyclops. It's just, it's cracking. It really does a lot for the for, for SpongeBob. Um, I did notice that being older, you know, obviously I watched SpongeBob when I was a kid. Um, you know, I, I loved it, you know, unconditionally and stuff when I was a child because everyone loves SpongeBob and Simpsons and stuff. Watching it back now, I realized how fucking annoying the voices are. Like, it was great, but SpongeBob's voice really, really grains on a 20 year old's ears. I'm not exactly an adult, you know, I'm still 20, but it, it's already unlistenable. Um, but despite that, it's a very good film. Um, now I'm talking about an even better film. 
We talked about last week about how I'd rewatched The Shining, um, and I'd listened, watched the extended version for the first time, watched it in 4K for the first time, and how I, every time I watch The Shining, I think it's better and better. Um, and it truly is one of the greatest horror films ever made. Now, have you seen Doctor Sleep? I have not, no. Um, now, I know you like The Shining, um, and I would strongly recommend you give Doctor Sleep a go. Um, there's always something to be kind of precautious about when you're talking about doing sequels to films that came out so long before, you know, you're not, stuff like Zoolander 2, you know, that kind of thing. You can't, It is really hard to capture the essence of the original when you're doing a film so long after the original. Um, and there's, you know, and countless examples, you know, 2010, the 2001 sequel, obviously you can't, you know, you, you can't stand up to the original, that stuff. I haven't seen the second train spotting yet, but I've heard that about that as well. Uh, Doctor Sleep, I thought, was an excellent tribute to one of the greatest horror films of all time, but also uh, stood alone as essentially a standalone story, a whole new concept, a whole new kind of horror element, new villains, a very, very separate story that doesn't feel like it's piggybacking, that feels kind of really like uh, its own unique Stephen King story. Of course, it's based off a book that he wrote, but it's also always paying tribute and that's the way i say homage tribute to the original with countless references that you could just you could say as fan service but i, I think it, it, it works um and some of the sequences are very obviously about the original when they're talking about the original they're featuring characters in the original and there's an excellent i can't remember who, who the actress but some the person that plays shelly deval in, in flashback scenes is just excellent doing the voice and stuff and those things are very obvious but then also just things like um, there's a room that Hugh McGregor has an interview in that's exactly the same as the, the interview room from the beginning of The Shining, things like that. It's, yeah, it, it did it perfectly for me. It ne- never felt like this was just trying to make a paycheck. It, it never felt like it was trying to cash in, but it didn't feel disconnected. It really felt like a unique, separate story that was so in love with The Shining. Doctor Sleep is, is based, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Doctor Sleep is, is based off a Stephen King book, of course, the sequel to The Shining, but the film isn't an adaptation of the book as much as it's a sequel to Stanley Kubrick's film that follows the plot of the Stephen King book. It's kind of like the events of the film version happened because there's the differences. The events of the Stanley Kubrick version happen in this universe. Um, It's just like, and then they try and do things in this that bring the story closer to the book version of The Shining by kind of adding bits that happened in the original that were cut out of the film. And very interesting concept, and I thought it was very well. And Ewan McGregor, as always, is excellent. Uh, the whole cast is excellent. Very good. And the cinematography is absolutely beautiful. Um, yeah, that's yeah, to see. It's very good. Um, now, again, I, I, that's kind of it. Uh, I'll talk about the other films, you know, like, like The Courier and, and Don't Breathe when they're relevant. But the best thing I watched this week, I don't know if you've seen it. I imagine you probably have seen it, but I watched this twice, um, a couple of days apart. But the 2017 David Lynch short film, What Did Jack Do? Have you seen this? <laughs> I think I have. I remember it's that where and he's, I don't... He's interviewing a monkey. Yes. David is Lynch, it's, it's a black and white... It's Netflix. Yeah. yeah. It's 17 minutes long. It's Netflix. Yeah. He's interviewing a monkey and it's supposed to be like film noir and all that thing. And <laughs> it's just gibberish. And it is absolutely hilarious. I absolutely adore it. It was, I didn't get, I don't give ratings things like that. Cause I, what do you rate it? But yeah. I guess it's just like a, a five. I just absolutely adore every second of it. And it just makes some of the lines are just so ridiculous. And just it's some of the shit that comes out of his mouth, man. <laughs> it's just so good. And he's like the lips, like, 
badly like photoshopped onto the monkey's mouth, like trying to make him speak English. I, I mean, haven't seen just, that since it first came out, a, and I will have to rewatch it. It's so it. good. You know, I, I saw like people giving out serious reviews. I think our old co-host Jordan get like a two star. I was like, I don't understand. Like this wasn't funny. I didn't understand it. This is like I probably should have watched more David Lynch stuff before it. Like really overanalyzed it. Like man, this is just a big chunk of fun. Just going <laughs> to this and just, I just I can I might watch it ten times. I just love it. It's just mm. uh, it's just so fucking weird. And um, yeah, I've seen you associate. I've, I've seen you associating with chickens. Uh, and it's got a wonderful uh, musical number at the end as well. So uh, what did Jack do? That's my pick of the week. Um, yeah. I feel like um, we need to do something to like cut, like break this up. Like I don't feel like I, I've just given like a big passionate review of, of Thought to Sleep. Like, I feel like I can't go straight into the courier. Like, say something interesting. We need to figure out some segues. Yeah, we really do. This, you will be, my fix my computer today for the first time in months. Um I got my friend to come around and he fixed up my, my, oh it was a palaver I tell you we, I got a new power supply I know nothing about computers at all got a new power supply I went to go install it and it turned out I had the wrong screwdriver so I had to wait for a new screwdriver to come took that did it all turns out the power supply was fine so I had to send back the power supply then I had to get a motherboard and my friend came around to fit in the motherboard went to go do it turns out my CPU wasn't compatible to buy a new CPU wait for that to come and then today after months of my computer being broken I finally fixed my computer which means the audio quality should be better um, it means that I should be able to get this out quicker than I would comparatively to last time but most importantly it means the intro music's back so I think that everyone will be here happy to, to hear that I, I can be asked to go find the intro music now and uh, everyone can hear the, the wonderful doom Yes, it's back. It's finally back. <sighs> okay. So, I am going to be talking about The Courier now. The Courier is a film by Dominic Cook, directed by Dominic Cook, starring Benedict Cumberbatch and Jesse Buckley, amongst other stars. Um, and um, a lot of actually actors I wasn't aware of, such as kind of Russian actors. That were it is a story of a real-life salesman uh, called Greville Wynn, um, who was kind of picked because of his kind of complete lack of knowledge of the Cold War, of his complete like kind of normality. And he was picked by the American and, and US Secret Services to uh, go and take messages back and forth, take documents back and forth with... The, their Soviet sources in the middle of Cold War Russia. Um, now, as I say, this is a, a true story. This is based off events that happened. I'm, I'm not aware of the of the the original story of it, so I can't tell you how it deals with the the subject matter or how it kind of actually is is realistic. Um, however, uh, I will say that I was really impressed. Um, I really enjoyed the Courier. I think it was uh, well made. It was interesting. It didn't seem too biased. It didn't seem too like propagandary, which obviously can deal with Cold War films. But it was act acted excellently by a kind of a fair few people, an ensemble cast, perhaps when it comes to kind of their, their quality. Benedict Cumberbatch, of course, shines as he always does because you know he's an excellent actor, um, playing this very kind of reserved, very kind of confused, out of the loop character, um, and. And uh, but also by the, the Russian actors you might not know, like Merab uh, Nindidzi. I, I, I was unaware of his, him before. I don't know if he's been in anything big that I, I am 
yeah, he's been in, he has been in quite a few. Uh, he's been in the uh, Bridge of Spies and Without Remorse. I'm going to see here, but you know, I, I wasn't aware of his work before. He plays an excellent kind of Russian equivalent of of the Secret Service, kind of the the, the mole. Um, yeah, and it's acted excellently. It's an interesting story. Obviously, there's kind of however much they can do with it. They can't you know can't make something out of nothing. Some points, much like in real life, there aren't necessarily always satisfied conclusions. However, I thought it was shot as well as you could for a film of this type but some i don't want to go into details of it because i'll be giving away plot points but some of the kind of i don't know if it's vfx or makeup that's done into transforming people while they're in different conditions uh, was really really good and i think some of the makeup used to make um, one of the, the main actors uh, look like um khrushchev, khrushchev um was was very good as well um yeah there, there are definitely it's definitely parts are, I wouldn't say were were excellent, but I think overall it is a, a tr- an interesting true story, a piece of as I said, a piece of real James Bond, but some real interesting espionage here. Uh, that's you know, but that's mainly notable for the the very uh, impressive acting performances. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd recommend the career. I have been wanting to see that. I just haven't got around to it yet. It sounds yeah. good. Yeah, it's no, it's a good film. Um, I won't give like a full. Review. I haven't actually got that many thoughts on it. I just think it's a solid film. <clears throat> it's a solid piece of, of of kind of real life kind of spy work. It's kind of I don't I don't know how I could think, but I think the production design was excellent as well. I'll mm. make that mention. It's very much feels like you're transferred back into that world. Um, I think the costume design, all that stuff, all that stuff that makes that feel so sixties was done excellently, and you never got pulled out of the action. And there's some real twists and turns, actually. It's a very interesting story. And mm. I think um, maybe this film likes to kind of over-exaggerate some of the influences of these events. And sometimes it kind of is a bit of a stretch, like, oh, the whole world was saved by this thing or the whole world changed by this. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's a little bit too far at points. But it is definitely it was a really interesting story. And I'm, I'm surprised I haven't heard this before because it does have really important real-world conversations and, and importance. But, yeah, it's um, yeah. I think uh, Jessie Buckley as well was, was very good. But she always is, of course. Uh, yeah. Okay, let's start off the real proper meaty reviews, shall we? Uh, by looking at uh, the G.I. Joe film Snake Eyes. Of course, I didn't watch this. Uh, Snake Eyes G.I. Joe Origins, starring Henry Golding. Um, now, I have seen the trailers, and it does look quite good. Kind of fairly mm. interesting um, piece of, of, of kind of action y, kind of semi, kind of that kind of um, semi superhero kind of, you know like not superhuman in powers but kind of slightly superhuman like cool fighting and stuff it looks like an interesting piece of, of action uh did it deliver that or or also what did you think of the trailer as well but did you have anticipation going to this what did you think of, of snake eyes and also give a little synopsis of what happens in the film uh well snake eyes is the story of uh, a man named snake eyes whose father is killed um and who goes into kind of like i'm not sure if it's illegal but kind of like underground fighting like fist and bare knuckle fighting and he works for this japanese businessman who it turns out is a bad man and he ends up being recruited by this family this secret family and he gets trained uh, in the martial arts and how to use swords and it's his origin story of him becoming the titular snake eyes uh as he you know i don't want to give around too many spoilers but as he accepts what happens to his dad and tries to avenge him 
and lots of things happen along the way. And I agree with you. I thought that the the trailer looked great. I thought this was going to be like really, really good, like a great martial arts film. The trailer really did sell this to me. I was very excited. I went to a, a preview screening, so that's how excited I was for it. I saw it before it actually came out. And it had a relatively fun opening. Like the first 30 minutes, there's a big fight. And that's really fun. And there are a couple of funny jokes that really land. And then after that, it just plummets and goes downhill quite quickly and quite badly. The shaky cam in this film is horrific. Like, I I assume that the fight choreography is good, but I don't really know because you couldn't see it because the shaky cam, it was, it was it's like, you remember the Bourne films, the shaky cam in the Bourne films? It's worse than that. It's shakier than that. It's crazy why they shot this intricate um, fight choreography that was choreographed by one of the most revered martial art choreographers in the industry. And then they decided to shoot it with a shaky cam and hide most of it. So that was a weird decision. And also because it's a, you know, PG-13 family friendly film, you can't really tell what's happening. Like, you know, they stab someone, they slice into people and you don't really know if contact was made or whether they avoided it or not because there's no blood you can't see and I don't think it needed to be R-rated and have that much blood but the action kind of felt really fake because you couldn't see it because of the shaky cam and because they could only show so much because it's they wanted to keep that PG-13 rating um and it it was just that you know the the screenplay was a bit rubbish the acting was quite dull at times. Henry Golding was actually quite good, apart from his accent. His accent took me out of it completely. I watched the yes, trailers. I did hear complaints about his yeah. accent. I did hear people saying how bad it was. I thought in the trailers that he had his English accent. If you watch the trailers, it sounds like he keeps his English accent. Yeah, I thought he, he has did, an yeah. He has an American accent in the film. Well, I say he has an American accent. He tries to do an American accent. And it it's not even a bad American accent, but it flip-flops between American and English in the middle of the sentence. Like, at the start of the sentence, it will be American. At the end of the sentence, it will be full-on English. And it's... That's what I remember um, in Game of Thrones, uh, Littlefinger's character, I can't remember the name of the actor, um, he was in Those Who Wish Me Dead earlier in the year, but him, he tries to do an English accent for the first, like, two series, and you can, like, see him, like, really, like... Get, getting kind of round the edges of an English accent, but never really can do it. Yeah. And then after like series, when series three starts, he just completely gives up and just turns Irish. <laughs> but that, uh, if they'd have kept, if they'd have just let Henry Golding do his English accent, there there would be a good performance in this. But the accent just completely takes you out of it. Like you know. Uh, yeah, because I I haven't seen Last Christmas, which <clears> is you know, <throat> one of the films that he kind of stars the most in. But I have seen The Gentleman. I thought he was very good in that. He was. He was very good in that, and he was good in Last Christmas as well. I've seen that, and he is a great actor. And I I said when I left this, I think if if that were good, if that were a critically acclaimed, loved by everyone action film. And if Henry Golding was allowed to keep his English accent, I think there'd be a push right now to make Henry Golding the next Bond, because that conversation is going to have to come up soon, because No Time to Die is about to come out. And I think Henry Golding would make a great Bond, and I think this film would have massively given him a push if it were good, and if 
he were allowed to just be himself rather than have this horrible, inconsistent accent. Most of the other actors are all right. You know, they've got quite a bad screenplay to deal with. Um, and some of the things that they have to say are just stupid. So it kind of takes you out. But it was fun. I think some of the action was fun. And I did kind of enjoy some of it. The, there, there are some moments where the cinematography is great. And then there are other moments where it has the most boring, dull cinematography ever. But, you know, it, what it did entertain me. You know, the action scenes were action scenes and there were kind of stakes because you felt invested in this story. Even if it wasn't a great story, you felt semi invested in it. And it was okay. You know, it felt like it was an advert for toys and it was the entire kind of second half was just setting up a sequel. A new character would walk in every like five minutes and be like, I'm from this group. I'm from this group. I'm from this group. And it's like, okay, so you're going to pop up in the sequel. Okay, you're going to pop up in the sequel. Okay, she's setting up the sequel. And and it was pretty good, but it was painfully, painfully obvious that they were trying to just set up a sequel. And I hate it when films do that, where they just, you know, the characters and the plots exist only to set up the sequel. And the... the it, it, yeah, like the old guard. Yeah. And I also hate it in origin films where the character only becomes the character at the very end, and we don't actually see them become the character in this film. And because they fumbled the bag with the first film, we never see them become that character properly. And also, the last ten minutes of this film are all in the trailer. The yeah, the post the post credit scene yeah, is in that, the trailer. That is insane. It's that such is absolutely a, insane. Such a, a a what's the word I'm thinking of? Like a mess a mess up from the marketing team to put the post credit scene, not just the end, the final shot is in the trailer and the post credit scene is in the trailer. That is insanely like, that is a big mistake from the marketing team because there were things that they could have put in the trailer. Like I say, the beginning was actually quite good. It had, there was a great sequence that was tense and followed up by a great fight action sequence that went on for a good 10 minutes. They could have put that in the trailer, but they put the last 10 minutes in the trailer, the final shot, and the post credit scene in the trailer. It, it was just crazy to me. I, I, you know, I didn't enjoy this film a lot, but it did entertain me at times. And I won't go and see it again. I don't particularly have a desire to see it again, but give it a go because this will appeal to a lot of people. I think it is kind of a, a crowd pleaser, but it just, it wasn't for me, necessarily. Would you say that it's not necessarily a very good film, but it serves a purpose as an action film? Yeah, probably, actually. I think, well, kind of, because like I say, the action is obscured by the shaky cam. Like, there are some great chase sequences and a couple of good fight sequences, um, but I... I the action is mostly obscured by the shaky cam. And when it's not obscured by the shaky cam, it is good. So yeah, it does serve its purpose as an action film, but there are films of that ilk where they're not very good films, but they serve the purpose as a fun action film. This is kind of the lower end of that type of right, film. Okay. Sure. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I can understand. So I didn't really miss much by not seeing this, right? <laughs> not particularly. No. 
there are a couple of things that I think you should, you know, go and see it for. Like I say, the opening is genuinely quite good. Like it's tense mm. and a good, great action scene with great fighting. But the um, the the shaky cam completely takes you out of it for me personally. I couldn't look past it. Okay, um, what would you be thinking uh, towards the rating of Snake Eyes? Probably a 5 out of 10. Or maybe a 4. Really? Actually, after that review, I thought you'd gone for lower. Maybe a 4. Yeah, I was just thinking that sounded a bit generous. Maybe a 4. 4. Okay. Okay, I'm not going to talk you out of a good rating. Um, But (laughs) 4. Okay. Um, About Man of the Match, then. So, you said about maybe the fight choreographer? Because you said about how... You know, the, the shaky cam ruined perhaps good choreography. You talked about how Henry Golding maybe struggled, was good, but struggled with the accent. What what would you go for in the man of the match there? I will go for Alec Hammond, who was the production designer, because I think there are several unique locations. Like, they're in Los Angeles, and then they're in this Japanese enclosed gated house. And I think then they're in kind of Japanese cities, and they're chasing in uh, streets, over bridges, on roads. And I think the production design really made it look unique. And it did look great at times. You know, the cinematography sometimes was dull. But the, the production design was always on point. The house that um, Snake Eyes and this family live in is really, really well um, designed and decorated. And I think the production design is is the best part of this, to be honest. Okay, interesting. Okay, so not not exactly much praise for Snake Eyes. Um, Unfortunately, because yeah, I did want okay. to love it. Yeah, 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 I can see that. Um, that's unfortunate. Uh, but, you know, we move. And do you think there will be a sequel? I'm not sure, because obviously because of the pandemic, it's not going to make much money. And no. it's not love, It you know, it's not got great reviews, so... Are they going to look past the box office and say, like, it could make a lot of money if there wasn't a pandemic, so yeah, we'll do a sequel. I don't know. That's how Although, I having said that, the G.I. Joe films... June. The G.I. Joe films that precede this were badly reviewed, and they've got sequels, so probably eventually, yeah, we'll see a sequel. Yeah, no, that's true. That's the thing I'm about June. Like Everyone's like, oh yeah, Denny said... If this does, this will make a sequel unless it bombs. And like, uh, by the way, it's going to bomb. Yeah. I think he th- he means unless it bombs for the pandemic. They know it's not going to do great yeah. in like. No, I think he means unless it does like dreadful. Yeah. Like as long as it does like even good by like good be even if it does okay okay being like Tenet standards then yeah. it, then they'll make a sequel or but it could be even a little bit worse than Tenet and it would be fine. Um, yeah, I do think they're going to yeah. make it. I think it depends how it gets received critically with Dune, I think, because obviously, like you say, the box office doesn't really mean much unless it's a disaster. Um, I hope it does well, and I almost hope it gets delayed, which I know is like a blasphemous thing to say. Yeah. But I want Denis to get a win. All of his films do badly box office-wise. I just want him to, like, break that narrative. And, like, I th- keep saying that I th- to my mates that, like, aren't so into films, like, June is the next Star Wars. That's what I keep saying. June is the next Star Wars. Yeah. You know, we're going to be like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And I'm really big myself up for it. I think it's going to be an absolute spectacle. Um, and I-, I think I'd rather it, I waited for it and it did amazing and it had, like, cultural impact like Avatar did. Yeah. Rather than the cultural impact that John Carter did. You know, like, I just <laughs> want it to be something massive i agree um, i think that know, most people especially because 
HBO Max isn't available worldwide, people that aren't willing to go to the cinema right now in the UK and in every other country don't have another way to see it, so they're just not going to see it. You know, I've got something to weigh in on the HBO Max debate. So if you're unaware and you're British, the thing is, is that HBO have been releasing their films or films to, to do the, uh, that come under the HBO kind of bracket, kind of whatever company owns that, um, Warner Bros and stuff, have been, they've been releasing films such as The Suicide Squad and Mortal Kombat on the, the same day on their premium subscription service as they have been in the cinemas. And there's big debate on on Twitter, and I always see people, even people from our uh, podcast network, that are like, oh, it's so, you know, like, people say things like, I want theatres only, and, everyone, and people are like, that's so disrespectful, the pandemic, you know, people are, can't go to films, people are scared, Delta Variant, you know, why, why would you make a film just accessible uh, uh, in cinemas? Now, I think that films should be in cinemas only, right? I, I, I do think that. I, I understand the negatives of the coronavirus, and I'm not trying to downplay them. I'm saying I don't see why we can't have films exclusively in the cinema for a month or for three weeks. And if you're not scared of COVID, or if you've had to be double vaccinated, or you're in an area that's particularly good and you feel acceptable, you can go to the cinema. And if you don't want to, then you can just wait. Because I feel like there are a lot of people that would be happily going to the cinema that are thinking, I can just watch it in my, my bed, it's fine. But there are a lot of people that would not have an issue with the risk of COVID because, again, there are some places and some situations where that isn't as much of a risk. I don't think the film should be coming out the same day on a streaming service and in the cinema because that's going to lead to pe- people not going to the cinema and that ultimately is what people is what leads people to creating more films and what leads to you know the ultimate experience of someone like me that wants to see more films released in the cinema. I'm not trying to downplay COVID. I'm just saying I think that you should have a small exclusive window, maybe even two weeks, and then people that don't want to go see it in cinema can then see it on, on HBO Max. What do you think? Do you think I'm out of order? What do you think? No, I, I agree completely. I also think that theatrical exclusivity is the best and it's the way to go. I, I, I agree. I think, you know, if you're not willing to go or if you don't want to go or if you don't feel safe to go, that's completely understandable now more than ever. But yeah, 100%. just wait. You know, or, but at the same time, I do understand people saying, well, I don't want to wait. Just put it on HBO Max for one year to do this. And I get that. I understand that. So I kind of, I kind of support it. But the issue with me is how Warner Brothers went about it. They didn't even consult the filmmakers before announcing that they were going to put their films on HBO Max. They didn't even have the courtesy to say to like Denny Villeneuve or James Gunn. By the way, we're going to put your films on HBO Max the same day as in cinemas. They just announced it without telling anyone. And I think that that's the worst part for me, how they yeah. handled it. No, I, I, I agree. I, I think I would have less of a problem if... And I think some some people have been less vocal. I mean, I, I, unless I'm missing something, I don't remember James Gunn making a hoo-ha, right? He didn't really say anything about it. I, think, I don't think he, he said anything um, explicitly, but there's, a lot of people said that he was pissed with it and he has right he okay. has kind of been pushing go and see this in cinemas go and see this in cinemas you need yeah, to see this in sure. cinemas he's not well, quite say, say being the as, as Villeneuve I can't remember who directed Mortal Kombat right but say you're the director of Mortal Kombat and you think I don't care I just want people to see the film I don't care what platform it's on that's fine but the fact that especially Denis has been explicitly saying I don't want this in HBO Max I think it's the worst thing because uh, James Gunn's not being explicit about Denis Villeneuve is being really explicit. I don't want this in HBO Max. I want this in cinema only. Just recently, please. And they're just saying, no, I think that realistically, 
and, and I think Warner Brothers should know with what they've done with DC, get, the directors own their films. The directors deserve the right to mm. use their films in whatever way possible. They are the, they is the, are the main person, that the main entity behind these you know yeah. vast crew of people are uh, summarized by the kind of the, the top of dog of that is the director the producers you know the people that are financial backing haven't put their creative effort into it they aren't the same level of connection with someone like a director who's you know slaved over these films then he obviously a film like dune needs to be directed more than than anything you know it's such a yeah. kind of a cosmic you know something that really needs to be properly looked at and and developed and it's it's you know a definitely a very hands-on job for him to, for, to his have his his creation his baby you know just thrown out wherever i don't think that's right i think at the end of the day that he deserves a right to have the final say on things like that i think the film should get theatrical re- exclusivity for at least a certain period and i don't like the idea of films like the suicide squad being treated as flops because people aren't willing to go see a film for 15 quid that they already have, they've already paid for in their £7.99 subscription. Exactly. I don't think that's right. I agree. I think. I that... also don't think that people should be looking at box office exclusively for the Suicide Squad. People are saying, that, oh, it's flopped in America. Count every single one of those streams as the $15 it will cost and then add that up. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think, to be honest, I think most sensible people are just ignoring box office this year, especially for Warner Brothers films because of this day-to-day HBO Max thing, but um, I, I I do agree. I think that films should have some kind of theatrical exclusivity. I think Warner Brothers have come to an agreement that after 2022, sorry, after 2021, so as of 2022, all of their films get 45 days in cinemas exclusively Good. and then go yeah. to streaming. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think because I'd hate to see the Batman ruined like that. I, yeah, I agree. I think, and, and another thing, an issue that I have with it is, I don't know if you felt this, but it's tiny things that have changed this year that are seemingly insignificant that I just, I miss. Like, I miss a film coming out and then everyone on Twitter or everyone being like, I won't talk about it yet and, you know, give it a couple of months. And then a couple of months later, people start to talk about it again. And that's how it happens. Whereas now it's it's out. Everyone talks about it. Here's a four minute HD clip for you to share on Twitter that everyone's That's sharing. That's really what annoys here's me. That's what annoys me about Black Widow, is that people having the HD rips of it. Yeah, here's 4K screenshots of the climax of this film that people have waited 10 years to see, you know. Right. And then other small things like, you know, and I, I don't even watch these anymore, but they still pop up in my recommended on YouTube. The Honest Trailers. I remember waiting months for an Honest Trailer to come out, and now it's out like three days after the film. And it's like... I just want some time to sit with the film before everyone talks about it, you know, before the video essays yeah. show up on YouTube. I just want some time to mull, mull over with it rather than it's out and this is it. You know, everyone stops talking about it after a couple of weeks. Whereas now, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Suicide yeah. Squad came out, what, like 25 days ago in the UK, 20 days ago in, in the US and everywhere else. I think... It, it feels like people have already started to stop talking about it. It had like a week, and now it's like, yeah, The Suicide Squad, that's the film that came out. Yeah, What's yeah, coming yeah, out next? Yeah. You know, yeah. there's no time yeah. to sit with these films and just mull them over. They're just out, and it's like they're dumping. It's like people complain about Netflix's dump and binge. That's what's happening with films. You know, Suicide Squad yeah. comes out, everyone binges it, and then everyone forgets about it. Because everyone, you know, with it when yeah. it's in the cinema, you go and see it. And then you think, you know, if you love it, then five days later, you're like, oh, I want to go and see that in cinema again. Whereas 
if it's on HBO Max, you watch it and you're like, oh, I love it. Oh, just rewind it a minute. Let's watch it again. Let's watch it again straight away. Yeah. And it yeah. takes away that thing that makes it special. And I do think there's been this, all this conversation, people saying, you know, I haven't seen many of my favorite films in the cinema, which is completely true. There are many films that I love that I've never seen in the cinema. Most people haven't seen films that are considered the best films ever in the cinema. Like most people won't have seen Citizen Kane or Goodfellas or Taxi Driver, Raging Bull in the cinema because, you know, they came out years upon years ago. Goodfellas yeah. less so, although it's still like 30 years, but still. And I, I, I completely agree with that. Like, yeah, many of my favorite films I've not seen in the cinema, but the films that are my favorite films that I have seen in the cinema, like I saw Goodfellas in the cinema and it was better. I loved it even more when I saw it in the cinema. It was special seeing it in the cinema. You know, it's just, and it's, it's an experience going to the cinema. It's not just watching something. It's experiencing it, how it was intended to be experienced in the dark in a massive room, in a, on a massive screen, it's just better, you know, I'm sure, I love mm -hmm. Jaws, Jaws is one of these that has been floated around, like, I think it was James Gunn who even said, like, I've never seen Jaws in a cinema, and it's still one of my favourite films, and it's like, yeah, I haven't seen Jaws in a cinema either, but I guarantee if I saw Jaws in a cinema, I'd love it even more, you know, hearing yeah, that score, yeah, yeah. that iconic score, the opening notes of the film, the, the opening scenes of the film with the opening notes of the score in the cinema in a dark room, I'd love it even more. And that's the point, you know. These films are people's favourites just because they've seen them, but the reason that they are yeah. immortalised, the reason that they are so iconic, the reason that films are more than just clips and extended videos are because they were seen in a cinema because they were made for a cinema, not a TV screen. Yeah, no, 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 I agree. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, I do definitely agree. And much like you, I haven't seen most of my favorite films in the cinema. Um, yeah. I've seen my favorite films in the cinema, of course, but I haven't seen Blade Runner in the cinema. I've never seen uh, Being John Malkovich or Psycho or yeah. well, yeah, I have seen Citizen Kane, <laughs> but you know what I mean. So you know. A lot of my favorite films I've never seen cinema, you know, Forrest Gump or Seven. Or <clears throat> yeah. Um, like, you know, but I feel like year. I would absolutely love them more if they were. And I would absolutely jump to any screening of them. And if anyone out there, no matter what country and what place you live in, if your cinema is showing the final cut of Blade Runner, can you tell me I'll buy a plane ticket? Because <laughs> I'll do anything to see that film in the cinema. Um, but, but it's like... And yeah. And, yeah, but like last year, because they didn't have many films to show, cinemas started yeah, showing old, films, fil old yeah. films, and I got to see Goodfellas and Taxi Driver and Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction yeah. and Psycho. And it was just bad. Like, seeing Pulp Fiction in yeah, the cinema yeah. was better. It was an experience. Seeing Psycho, seeing an, an, an actual Alfred Hitchcock film in a cinema, it was special. It was different than watching it on a TV. It was... It was incredible seeing those films that I have loved for many years. To see them on a, t on a cinema screen just enhanced right. them. Okay, we need to move on now. <laughs> we do, we've rambled for <laughs> we quite a bit. Yeah, we rambled for a while. How did we even get on okay. to this? Because I said about how, um, about how, something about June, uh, it was to do with, uh, oh man, I can't remember how we got from Shang-Chi to June, uh, not Shang-Chi. Um, Snake Eyes to June. Snake Eyes to June. <laughs> I can't remember how I got onto that, but if you, if you listen back, you'll you'll yeah. hear what I said. Uh, oh, it was about how it will get a sequel if it does well. Oh yeah. Um, oh, and then we got onto box office. Yeah. yeah. 
And I just want to say I don't care about box office, obviously. I just put one out. I couldn't tell you what, especially in the pandemic, I have no idea what Tenet did at the box office at all. Um, yeah. But, you know, it just, you know, it matters to two people involved in making films. Mm. Okay. So let's talk on to, to Don't Breathe and Don't Breathe 2. Now, I hadn't seen the original Don't Breathe that came out in 2016 until this week, but I, I, I did see it. So before I go into Don't Breathe 2, Don't Breathe 2 released this week. It's a horror sequel it's featuring Stephen Lang from, from the first film. Um, and I'll, I'll talk about that. So first, I'll just quickly say about Don't Breathe, which is directed by Freddy Alvarez. Uh, it, it came out five years ago and it stars Stephen Lang, Jane Levy, um, Dylan uh, Minette, I think. Um, and Don't Breathe, the original, is the story of burglars um, that kind of go house to house or whatever. They're just trying to they get money. They, they, they kind of stake out a place and they burgle it. Um, and there's kind of they kind of doing one last place because it's got a bit kind of a lot of money before they kind of going off to do their, their own things. They've each got their own reasons. Uh, you know, the woman wants to go take her sister and go move away. The the the, the young boy, I think his name, the Dylan Manette's character, he wants to go um, help look after his dad. They they go and they, they find this house of this blind guy that's got an awful lot of money from the government because he's an ex-soldier. He's a an ex SAS forces or whatever. Special Forces kind of kind of fella, and they break in and they find out that it's actually not as it seems. It's not an, a, the easy target that it really is. Uh, even though he's blind, he's kind of super high senses and he knows all of these combat techniques. And you find out that he perhaps is not who he seems. Now, I will be talking about Don't Breathe and the events of it very openly in the second one. So if you haven't seen it, there's spoilers for for that in the, the next reviews. Um, but I thought Don't Breathe the original was absolutely excellent. Um, you know, it, it creates um, the same kind of tension that you would see in kind of the other films that remove the senses as in Bird Box and more importantly, quite A Quiet Place. Um, that kind of feeling of, of the don't breatheness, you know, because you're fighting against this kind of character that is, you know, so heightened to his auditory senses. He knows, you know, the touch and the, the feel of his own home so well. You know, you, you're kind of that similar thing to The Quiet Place where you're noticing every creak of a floorboard, every single, you know, calling out someone's name. Again, breathing, of course, the title invokes that. Um, and it was, you know, every bit as tense as that. And it really, really entertaining watch. It kept you on the edge of your seat the whole time. It kept messing with the narrative. Of course, this is spoilers, but you find out that Stephen Lee's character, you know, is actually a, a very evil man. And you feel that quite early with, with the way that he kills characters and is kind of, unrelenting and kind of doesn't um, apologize for it he's very disillusioned with life he, he's very clear that he has lost god and he said i can't remember the line but it's like um you know when a man has when a man no longer fears god he becomes unstoppable or one man believes of he becomes unbeatable something he kind of he, he he's willing to do anything because he knows he, he doesn't fear the afterlife and you find out how to be a kind of a rapist and a very very evil man um but that way it switched the narrative round really made you feel for the the the, the kind of jane levy's character and, and dylan Minette's character they really really you know the little splashes of their private lives earlier on really made you attach to them and you realize that okay they're only stealing for a purpose but most of all as i said i'll say it again Stephen Lang's performance is excellent here he really really plays that character well and you're so aware of his senses and his kind of ridiculous superhuman level of ingenuity and and kind of the way that he, and combat ability is it just leads to a a really tough watch a really really awkward watch a scary watch um, but yeah, just 
excellent picture, and I, I really thought it was it was it was done excellently. That the the sound design here is as good as it has to be for a film like this. You know, you can compare this again to to Quiet Place. I believe this came out before Quiet Place. I think Quiet Place was two thousand seventeen, wasn't it? Um, in which case, this predates it and, and does that, that a lot of the same things very well. Here, I was a big fan, and um, you know, I, I yeah, it's. Um, I thought that you know it was it was really good, and that was one of the reasons why I went into Don't Breathe Two with a similar level of anticipation. Um, I was interested in what they did because there wasn't really much need to carry on. I didn't feel like Don't Breathe worked well as a standalone, um, and you kind of got the ending scene where you kind of find out that, he, that the, the the blind man's okay, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it needed a sequel just because he's alive. Doesn't mean that you know there's anything more to do. Uh, I was wondering how they touch on it with maybe introducing characters from the previous film or what they were going to do. But I'll talk now about Don't Breathe 2, which is um, a film by d- directed by uh, Rodo uh, Sayegeth. Sayegeth. I don't know how to pronounce this. This is his directorial debut. Um, it is uh, looks at the blind man, I think, eight years down the line, um, and he has a child um, that... Uh, was kind of he adopted you find it very early on that he kind of adopted this child when she kind of went missing and kind of raised her and, and taught her to be his own she kind of thinks he's his daughter you see that very early on um but then one a group of uh criminals uh organ donors that you can see on the news come to his house to try and take him and the girl uh, things start to get out of hand and a series of twists and turns take you down places you don't think revealing secrets about all of their pasts. So again, an, an extreme amount of anticipation going into Don't Breathe 2 um, and, and curiosity on what they could do with the format. Of course, there is a lot of possibilities to work with the interesting narrative and knowing that you can get such a good performance out of Stephen Lang as he showed in the first film. You know, there's an awful lot of different ways you could go down the, the, the kind of the, his ultra sense uh, and, you know, a lot of kind of interesting paths and it really, really, really drops the bag. It really fumbles it in an awful way. I'm going to open up. I was extremely, extremely disappointed. Um, Don't Breathe One will make you think of A Quiet Place. As I said, it'll make you think of Alien. It'll make you think of that kind of tension and anticipation and isolation. Don't Breathe Two is a horror film more akin to that of Saw that is so desperate to outgross you and gore you with disgusting bloody scenes and ridiculous deaths and hands being ripped off and people pulling you know the skin off and people's mouths being glued shut it looks like a low-grade saw film uh, in the way that it's trying to just try and freak out the audience and make them kind of want to to run off to the cinema toilet to vomit more than it is actually trying to install any amount of fear or kind of anticipation tension anything it it doesn't hit that same punch it is ludicrous in some of its plot decisions that just don't make sense it has gone so far from the original that i'm so shocked at the end to see that Freddy alvarez who directed the first one shares a writing credit with rodo uh Sergez, uh here I, I just don't understand how you could go from a story that is so simple and you know just properly gutted down to all that it needs and then filling this with strange exposition ridiculous decisions you know there's this whole organ transplant backstory it just done so poorly i mean i think that it, it 
the the the, the uh, score, you know, still suited the the tension of the first one and didn't match the action that it was trying to go for. I think it was really trying to force a horror that wasn't there. Um, and I think there's a major problem in trying to create a good guy out of a character we've already seen to be a murdering rapist. We know that he's a bad guy. We just watched the first film. Why are you trying to make him good again? And you've got this whole backstory of the child that he's got. But it doesn't really mean that you, you want to get behind him. This just kind of makes a situation where you don't really want to root for anyone here. Everybody's a bad guy, except for a child that is essentially confused. There is so little to get behind here. There is no genuine horror. And it just feels like they thought, we need to cash in, make something that people will go and see because the first one was good. And they've just gone so far from what made it good that it, it just feels like somebody that... It feels like, you know somebody that was a saw fan has just gone let, let's use this use that character in the first film let's use that character from don't breathe let's try and rope that in i, I just don't understand what they're going for here the screenplay is laughable some of the dialogue later on in the film is genuinely awful um it's just such a step down i can't say anything other than i am extremely disappointed and they could have done so much more with the concept um yeah so very very poor for me yeah that is the general consensus of why I've, I've heard as well. I haven't seen it, obviously. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it's just, it's just... Watching them back to back, you know, it, it's just... I, I wonder if I'd forgot... Maybe if I hadn't seen the first one years ago, I'd have forgotten how good it was, and I'd forgotten the tone of it. But it just sounds so strong. They've gone, just gone for something so far from any sense of, of, of you know, capitalising. I know you have to change things up, but... This weird, it's such a weird story. I mean, it's so random and strange and about meth addicts wanting drug trans, uh, uh, heart transplants. And, you know, it's just, it's so strange. Uh, and the rating is, is gonna, gonna reflect that. Um, sim, I, I think this was entertaining. You know, I, I couldn't say that about other horror films I reviewed passionately, like, uh, The Conjuring 3. Um, it, it's not that poor, uh, because at least kind of, I was interested and a lot of the shot, uh, the twists whilst stupid, whilst ridiculous were at least shocking to me. Uh, but I can't say I'm going to give it higher than a three and a half, a three and a half for me. Ooh. Um, when it comes to the man in the match, I, I don't think that the kind of child actor, um, in it, um, Madeline Grace, I don't think she was poor. I don't think she did anything wrong. Awful screenplay to work with. Um, but, you know, she has to do an awful lot of work in this film. She essentially is the main character here, actually, more so than Stephen Lang, even though, you know, she isn't necessarily given enough development for us to always empathise with her. I feel like, you know, she has to do a lot of work for, for a child actress. And I, I, will, I will give Ma uh, Madeline Grace my man of the match. But again, it's not even that high. This is, you know, it's really very little positives to say from this, to be honest. Wow, it's... Well, to be honest, that is not surprising because everyone I've spoken to who have seen it has said exactly the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I um, <clears throat> I it's easy to remember what I talked about when it comes to like doing our, like what we watched earlier. You know, like it's so easy to do that when you talk about films because you can think I talked about this film last week. Yeah, uh, I about that. But with shows, you know, you, you're not ranking on letterbox. I'm not like I watched that. Well, so it's a little hard to remember exactly what I was talking about exactly last week, but I did watch more Breaking Bad as well. I, I did mention that earlier. But, oh, yeah. Um, I'm kind of midway into Series 4 now, about Episode seven, 6 or 7 of Series 4. Oh, yeah. Um, which which meant that 
yesterday, uh, you know, the last episode I watched, I came into contact. Finally, I finally saw the line. Um, you know, uh, it, it was, what's, it's like, um, you think I'm in danger. I'm the danger. Oh, yeah. uh, a man, um, uh, a man gets shot once. Man uh, opens some, his door. Man, and gets man shot. comes to, comes to the door and gets his shot. And you think I'm in, you think I'm in trouble. I am the one who knocks. I finally saw that yesterday. Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of gave it much like when I watched uh, Game of Thrones and I saw, uh, you, uh, you know, nothing, Jon Snow. I kind of let out a, a, a an audible kind of excitement, much akin to an American in a theater when Captain America goes. <laughs> I, uh, I, just, I remember yeah, I, was, I, I had the yes, same thing yes. when I first watched it. Like finally. And then, yeah, finally around to it. And then um, I haven't got to say my name bit, of course, which is the other like big bit. But um, at the end of the episode, she's like, um, Skylar, you know, I'm the one who has to protect this family from the man that protects this family. And I was like, Phew, oh, this is so this episode, good, man. I, I think I don't think I talked about it last week, but um, I watched the, the Fly episode. Oh, Did yeah. I, I, don't, last week? I don't think you were up to that part yet. Very controversial, I believe. Um, yes, it is very controversial. I don't see why. It's an excellent episode of television. It I, don't get what... I think, I think, I have a theory about the the fly, right? So settle in for this theory. It is only brief. I say settle in, but it is only brief. I think mm. it's different for us. We're binge watching it. When it came out in 2011, 2012, whenever it was, people were obsessed with Breaking Bad, and they were like, "Oh my god, what's going to happen next with Gus? What's going to happen next with Jesse? What's going to happen next with Walt and Skyler and Hank?" Finally, we've got a new episode, and it was The Fly, where no plot happens whatsoever. It's purely character development. And they were upset that no plot development happened, and they had to wait another week to find out what happened. That's why it's so poorly received, because when you binge watch it, it's one of my favourite episodes. I think it's brilliant. It's just that nothing actually happens in it. But I think if you look at reviews on on um, not Letterboxd, on IMDb, you know they're not all from the day that it came out. A lot of people still continue do not like this episode and talk about it as pretentious nonsense. Now I don't think I people know what the definition of pretentious is, but I don't see how that is any poor. I, I don't think it. I think I agree to a, to a degree about what you say. I think that people probably would have had a more negative connotations then, um, but I don't think people generally love it now anyway. I think more people love it now, but I also find it very interesting that it was directed by Ryan Johnson, who directed The Last yes. Jedi, and it's divisive for the same reasons. There's, I think, you know, not much plot happens in The Last Jedi. You know, for the most part, it's just a chase, one ship chasing another, but it's full of character mm-hmm. development. And I think The Fly is similar. Not much plot actually happens, but it's full of character moments and character development. And I think Brian Cranston and Aaron Paul just being locked in a room together for an hour gives some of the best acting in Breaking Bad, to be honest. Although, having said that, you the last season kind of blows everything out of the water. Yeah, okay. I'm looking forward to I'm to very excited for you to come. finish it. Yeah, I'm very much like it. I'm really, really happy. We will have to do a Breaking Bad segment, because once you finish it... Yeah, yeah. Well, you know. It's it's pretty damn good. It's pretty much as good as everyone says. Yeah, um, it is one of those shows that does. It did meet my expectations. Like I read that it was like the best show ever made, and I was like, no, no. And then I finished it, and I was like, okay, yeah, it, it is. It is that kind of. <laughs> yeah. Okay, now it is time to move on to Free Guy. 
This is the new film directed by Sean Levy, um, starring Ryan Reynolds, uh, Jodie Comer, uh, and other uh, Joe Keery, Taika Waititi, Lil Ray. Um, yeah, there's there's uh, a few other people in there. Um, a lot of cameos and such. But this is a film about a non-playable character, an NPC in a video game um, that is has to deal with the, the day-to-day happenings of, of living in a game like GTA, where he has to get go to work, he has to get the bank robbed by kind of people on heist missions, uh, goes home, and, and the same thing happens every day. When he dies, he respawns, etc., etc. And whilst he's in the, the game one day, he comes across someone who is a playable character and, and they kind of think of them as the heroes and he gets swept away by them and, you know, he, he kind of falls in love with a real person and that leads him down a, an exploration journey similar to that of perhaps the Truman Show or something like that. Whilst also the story deals with a real-life story of a girl called Millie who uh, is trying to sue the creators of the game that the free guy is living in, free C, um, as she believes they've stolen the code that she made for an indie game alongside uh, Walter McKee, uh, who is played by Joe Keery. Um, I'll let you start off. Uh, what did you think of the big film of the week? What did you think of Free Guy? For the most part, I was pleasantly surprised. I thought that I knew the plot outline was an NPC becoming kind of sentient and figuring out that his world isn't real but i didn't know the the outward plot like you mentioned about the uh millie and her ex-boyfriend you know almost like a heist film at times i didn't know that so going in i was pleasantly surprised by it all i didn't find it particularly that funny i just i don't think ryan reynolds's comedy is for me i think his certainly his uh his i think in deadpool is quite funny but when he has to make a film that's, you know, for kids and that kids will enjoy, I think I just don't find him very funny, to be honest. So he didn't really do anything for me. But Jodie Comer was great in this. I thought she was a great lead, both in the game and in the real world. I thought all of the cast were great. I, I thought the plot was innovative. Like I say, it was kind of a heist film, as well as a comedy, action comedy. Um, and and it was good. I thought the VFX were great. The cinematography was good. The production design was good. Um, I, most of what I want to say is like towards the end with spoilers. So I'm trying to think of a way to. Oh, we have this. We do spoilers section, is we? Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to think of a way to just kind of talk about it obscurely for now. Um, but yeah, I thought the 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 action was very over the top game action as well, which I liked and bringing that into live action, mm-hmm. bringing the, the game action into live action and the game violence into live action was a really good... Uh, they did that in a really good and inventive way. And I think the scenes where... I think it, this part did actually make me laugh with Ryan Reynolds. When um, he isn't aware that he's an NPC, but everyone thinks he's a real person and that he's this amazing hacker that's hacked the game. And he's mm-hmm. just walking around and she keeps saying what's your name? And he's just going, I'm Guy. I'm Guy. That's me. I'm Guy. And there's this one scene where they're in kind of her hideout after they've, you know, done a heist thing for the first time. And I think Jodie Comer was was great, almost as a straight man in that scene where she didn't really do anything funny 
other than react to what Guy was doing, Free Guy was doing, Ryan Reynolds, sorry, was doing. And, uh, mm. I, you know, I really did enjoy it. I didn't think it was, I didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I did. I didn't think it was like groundbreaking, but, um, I thought it was quite funny. I, I liked the jokes about sequels and IPs and, and all that, yeah. you know, they kept saying people aren't interested in original ideas. They're interested in sequels and IPs. Um, and I, I, I thought those moments were funny. I didn't particularly think that Taika Waititi was funny, which is a surprise because mm. normally I think he's mm. quite good. I think he's a really good comedian, but I didn't find him very funny in this. I just thought he was a bit weird and it felt like he was trying too hard to be funny. It didn't feel natural. Um, mm. but other than that, I, I did really enjoy Free Guy. I didn't, I didn't expect to as much as I did. Yeah, I, I will mirror most of the things that you said. Uh, I think that Free Guy was was very fun. I think that Free Guy was an excellent ride, and I enjoyed being in the world that you were, we were in for so long. I think that uh, Ryan Reynolds, I think, suits the character, and I think that you know he kind of really did hold himself in, in a way that you'd associate with that kind of character. And I, I think you know it's a it's an interesting idea. It, it said it, it's obviously drawn comparisons to the Truman Show. Um, and I think, you know, it's not necessarily at the same level as that, but I think the kind of concept of, you know, what is, you know, it asks questions about, you know, what is consciousness and, you know, and now he knows what is he going to be like, you know, he doesn't exist, all that stuff, because it kind of very obviously implies that he realises quite quickly that he doesn't actually exist. Um, I think it's a really interesting concept and I think it was really fun. I enjoyed being in the game world and, and the way that, you know, it was very GTA-like and, um, a lot of the the fighting and the and the, again, there's a little bit of cynicism here. They talk about how the IPs and like the jokes about sequels, but they also do wank off IPs. They do love oh, absolutely, that they can use, yeah. You know, they, it's a bit hypocritical, really. Yeah, especially the now that a sequel kind of has been real life story. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The the real life story kind of did take away at points from some of the more fun bits in game, but you have you understand that it kind of has to do that to develop the plot, and it, it makes sense. I really liked being in the world and the visual effects to create that kind of almost brought sections that I, I think you know later on it actually made me think kind of more of Inception, um, you know, like some of the, the the visual effects later on. I think you know I'm on about with the kind of collapsing, yeah. Um, Things and I think that the VFX in general were really, really good and really made you feel like you're, you know, inside a real video game and kind of made you kind of give that that dream feeling of like, oh, wouldn't it be so cool to be there? And one of the, but I will say, you know, the biggest problem you touched on it. There's a few problems I've got. The biggest problem is Taika Waititi. Um, you know, he, he's an excellent director. He's an excellent writer. He's an excellent actor. Um, but he does not suit the character he's playing mm. at all. He's playing the main bad guy of the film, Antoine, who is the kind of leader of the company, the, the game company, the company that designs the game. Um, he's kind of like the kind of cool, like game designer, like kind of guy you'd imagine, like kind of worked at Google, kind of like, I'm um, so, so like, he's, he's all, you know, arrogant and he kind of, he's got his office full of bean bags and he's just like, yeah, man, kind of that kind of thing. And he, can't do it he really can't do it it's yeah. so not Taika Waititi again he's trying too hard the joke the comedy falls so far flat and you think man you're like 50 dude this is not your job this is not your role you know you it's such an excellent actor and to see him really trying to, to fit a role that was never written for him there's no way that they he, they thought oh yeah I've got yeah we'll do Taika Waititi there's no way that this script yeah. was written with him in mind 
you know, this is suit someone that is half his age that, you know, is just, you know, that, that you think of as a kind of, he doesn't, he doesn't feel like a bad guy. Yeah, he doesn't feel nice. like, he, he, yeah, he's too nice to be a bad guy. Yeah. He doesn't deal with the arrogance very well. He doesn't do arrogant in that way. And you think, okay, yeah, he played Hitler, but he played a comedy Hitler that a child thought of. Yeah. He didn't play actual Hitler. Um, it, it just doesn't, you know, he can't do the slang. He can't be the cool guy. It just, it just, it really, and it really annoyed me. And it, I think yeah. it kind of took away a lot of the, my immersion and interest in the real life segments that I was, I would otherwise say I'm enjoying. Cause I think Joe Curry puts in a really good performance here. Um, it, it, let, it kind of let me down a bit. And I think that I could get through it because of how much fun I had. But as the film went on, there was more and more kind of stupid plot, plot decisions that I was like, right, this is just a little bit dumb here. Like, you know, essentially just turn the game off, you know, shit like that. It's like, you know, there's so many like stupid decisions at the end. I'm like, oh, that kind of annoys me. But at the end of the day, that makes me sound more negative. That I really just loved being in that world. And I, as much as I am cynical about kind of the way they act about it, I will, I will be happy to go back into this world again in a sequel. Um, and I kind of like the the way that it kind of uses cameos and, and IPs to kind of make you, you know, accustomed to the world and, and ninjas in it and Jack Septicai's in it and you know they use they, you know. Of the Captain America's shield and a portal gun. Now, here's a pet peeve, right? They use a gun from Half-Life, or, you know, it's also in Gary's model, the gravity gun. It looks completely fine. You know, they use lightsaber stuff, completely fine. Why does the portal gun not look like a portal gun? The portals look like portals, but the portal gun looks nothing like a portal gun. I know, pet peeve, but as a big portal fan, it's my favourite video game ever. I'm not familiar with Why would you not use the portal gun? gun? So stupid. But yeah, there's an awful lot of great cameos. There's a great performance by Jodie Comer, a great performance by Joe Keery, and Ryan Reynolds. I think his comedy works. It did work for me. I, I thought it was funny. And yeah, I enjoyed this uh, a lot more than I thought I would. And yeah, it really created a game world that really felt playable, despite the non-playable uh, kind of existence of Guy. Yeah. Um, yeah do you want these spoilers? Um, we can do briefly. We kind of touched upon it you kind of touched upon it to be honest i didn't want to go into it because i i thought it was kind of a spoiler but i wanted to talk about the scene where you were talking about the portal gun and the captain america shield and the lightsaber right i mean i guess if you if you feel really worried about spoilers you can jump through that now but like just skip forward a few minutes but you know if you're it's not, not that, that worried much of a spoiler we'll just it's just basically yeah it's not, i'm not gonna put it i'm not gonna put the i can't be asked right in the description lads but you know if you want to skip forward again yeah it's, it's not going to be that long, and it's not that much of a spoiler. Right. But yeah, I thought the scene, I thought it was funny, it made me think, like, one of the good things about Disney buying Fox is that they can use the lightsabers and the Star Wars music, and they can use Captain America's shield and use the Avengers music, and have a cameo from Chris Evans as well. And, yeah, you know, to have the uh, that scene, I thought it was really funny, because, you know, you have these games where you, you games that are completely not set in the Star Wars universe, but you can put a lightsaber in. You know, it, it sounds it seems exactly like that kind of thing where there'll be a DLC where oh it's the Star Wars DLC. And now the characters can have a lightsaber. And it makes no sense. And I just thought that touch was really, really great. And the way that they used it was hilarious. But also, like you said, it was very hypocritical because the film was talking about, oh it's an original, you know, this is the original and the climax is he defeats the bad guy with a lightsaber from Star Wars and Captain America's shield while the Star Wars and Avengers music plays in the background. (laughs) 
but I thought yeah, that was a good yeah. a good way to end it, and that was I think that was the best segment of the film for me. The end, well, not the end, but that kind of climactic action sequence. I um I mentioned it before in the podcast, but kind of I'm I'm a I'm a kind of as a child or as a younger a teenager, I was an obsessive fan of, of College Humor. Um, the the kind of the old YouTube channel uh, and a lot of their kind of supplementary series like Hardly Working and and Jake and Amir and one of the characters that was in a number of their early skits uh, a lot of their kind of early thing was um, the rap group Freestyle Love Supreme and one of them UTK who was in a lot of those sketches that I watched growing up so much is one of the main characters in this he plays um, he plays Mouser, who's like kind of Joe Keery's like best mate at work. And I could not focus on it the whole time because like, man, that's like a part of my childhood here. Like this guy, like, I recognize him from like his videos, like the videos on there, like to see him, you know, cause I know he, he Freestyle Love Supreme also has, um, the, the rap group also has, um, Lima Miranda. Obviously he oh, yeah. does Hamilton and stuff. So like, you know, obviously I'm used to seeing them kind of more popular, but, I wasn't expecting... I mean, I'm used to Lima Miranda being famous. I'm not used to this guy. Um, so uh, <laughs> that that took me out of the action a bit. But yeah, I, I thought it was a really fun film in general. I really enjoyed it. And, um, you know, that's the main thing here. It's not meant to be a cinematic masterpiece. It is just a really nice bit of escapism, I think. Um, and, you know, it's not going to win the Oscars. But uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's in that same kind of... I keep talking... We keep talking about how fun films are this year. I feel like... Yeah, there are um, a lot of, good, a lot of the films. films. Have, a lot of films that I don't think they would have re- want. The reason why we weren't talking about it before is because I think a lot of those kind of films that they didn't want to release when it was during the pandemic. They didn't want to release on Netflix. They didn't want to release, you know, when Fit Cinemas first opened because they, they need audiences. You know, it's not like films like, you know, that you love like Nomadland or I love like Jesus Mac Messiah are important, serious pieces of, of work that just will be appreciated by who watches them. Yeah. Films like Cruella and, and Space Jam and this, they need fun, like packed cinemas yeah. and in, audiences that enjoyed it. And I've talked to a few people that maybe haven't been going to cinema that much or don't go to cinema that much that I've seen Free Guy. Um, and yeah. I think that, you know, that, 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 you know, because it has that fun aspect that draws people in and people don't care, you know, whether it's going to get nominated for VFS, FX, VFX Oscars because they just want to enjoy it. And it's a fun film and it does its job really well. Uh, Free Guy is a big plus for me, a big plus for me, despite the fact I didn't like Taika Waititi. Um, I think at the end of the day, it still is a, a really good film. I, I'm not, not going to say that I dislike the idea of a sequel, despite the cynicism around it. Yeah, I was, I was just going to say as well, a, I'm actually excited yeah. for the sequel. Yeah, and I'm going to give it a seven and a half. No, yeah, a seven or a seven and a half out of ten. That is peculiar. Yeah, I'm right. also going to give it a seven and a half out of ten. Oh, very nice. What about your man of the match? I think there's an awful lot of people that could be here. A lot of good performances, uh, a lot of good technical sides, like uh, technical things such as the the, the FX, which we talked about a lot. Um, the director putting it all together, the story's interesting. You know, the screenwriter. Who are you going to go for when you when you're talking about your man of the match? I am going to go for Marlene Stewart, who was the costume designer. I think the costumes are great in this. I think the um, you know, creating the generic outfits of the other NPCs like Buddy and Guy, and then creating like the playable characters' outfits as well. Like I think Jodie Comer's outfit was a perfect game outfit. Like that looks exactly like the kind of thing that someone would put 
in a game. It doesn't look, look yes. like something a hero, an action hero would wear. It looks like something a game character would wear. And I think the, the costume design It took me quite a while to realise. I think it shows how good the costume design and the, and the makeup is. It took me a long time to realise that Jodie Comer was playing, was playing both characters. You know, both the game version and the real version. Because she looks so it, different in those two forms. Yeah, she, I think it would have done as well if I didn't already know that it, they were both her. Because they did look completely different. Yeah, yeah. For me, I'm going to go for... There's a few people here, but I'm going to go for Russell Earl, Jamie Hallett, Sven Gilberg, and Yoti Halansura for visual effects. Yeah. Because it looked really, really good, and it was a lot of it was very CGI-intensive, and a lot of explosions, and a lot of heads-up displays. Um, so it needed an awful lot of VFX. Obviously, there's four people doing it. Um, and it, yeah, I think it really, really held up the film. If this was done poorly, if this was ugly, this would not be as enjoyable of a watch as it was. Uh, so yeah, I'm giving it to the visual effects. The VFX were great. I did consider giving it to them as well. You know, it feels like this podcast has been really long. Like we've talked about loads, but it's actually really short compared I, to the rest of ours. I was like, just we normally go for yeah. like two hours. Yeah, it's like an hour and 15 minutes. Um, so yeah, we managed to talk about four films this week, which is is good. And going around, um, I June. guess. And going a, a long round about June and, and a little mini one about Breaking Bad as well. Mm. Um, I guess that probably is because we've been reviewing one each rather than both of us. That's true. Um, I, I was going to say about how Four Guys already got a sequel. Um, I am also going to say that uh, even though they've been talking about it and they kind of vaguely announced it, but it's been like pretty much a hundred percent. Confirm now that they're making a new Captain America film with Anthony Mackie in it. Um, you know, I wouldn't have been that big on it before Falcon and Winter Soldier, but I think that saying how good he was in that, even though I didn't love Falcon and Winter Soldier, I thought that him, both Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan were, were very good. Um, I'm very much looking forward to the new Captain America film with him in it. I'd love to see the Falcon on the big screen. I agree. I well, thought that Falcon now Captain America, was... of course. N- yeah. That was... No longer Falcon, yeah. of course. Sorry. Captain America, but his, the Falcon Captain America on the big screen. Yeah. I thought that Falcon and the Winter Soldier was great. I did love it. And I am very, very excited to see Anthony Mackie's and Sam Wilson's Captain America instead of uh, Steve Rogers. Because I never liked Steve Rogers, so I'm excited to see a new Captain America as well. And I think, like I said, I loved Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And I think his arc throughout Cap- uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier was great. And I can't wait to see that extended. So that is very exciting news that it's officially been confirmed. I'm also quite annoyed to say that a reboot of one of the most overrated films of all time is going to be coming to Disney Plus on the 12th of November. We are going to be seeing a remake of the series, a new movie of Home Alone. That is a hot take. Home Alone overrated. It's shit, man. It's shit. I don't think it's, it's shit. It's American cheese. But it is, it's, not, it's not one of my favourites. It's a pre. It's talked about like one of the great Christmas films. It ain't got shit on Elf. Hasn't got no, shit it's not. on Elf. It's not. I saw that in. That was another one that I saw in the cinema last year. That was good. What Elf? No, um, Home Alone. Although I did see Elf as oh, well. Lucky. Oh, oh! I just saw this on uh, my news section. Essentially, resolves of me just looking on Empire, <laughs> and I've just seen on Empire that they are making a f- uh, Rob Savage is making a follow up to Host called Dashcam. 
um, which is very interesting because I liked Host a lot. I know you wouldn't because it was a very scary horror film. Um, but mm. yeah, Host was excellent. I'm happy they're making a new one. Now, this is on Empire. This is I just saw this on Twitter uh, before we came on. Um, was that they've greenlit or they're making a Black Canary film uh, spin-off yes. from um, Birds of Prey. Now, me and you both talked about our, our very strong feelings towards Birds of Prey. And we both really liked it and think it's the best film that DCU've made. Um and and I'm I think Black Canary was one of the best parts of that film, and I'm very happy to see her get more drawn out and and more talk to, uh, more screen time because maybe one of the problems with that film is that she doesn't get enough of it. Um, so yeah, I'm very happy for that as well. Are you? Yeah, very much so. She was one of my favourites of the uh, Birds of Prey, so I'm very excited again, as you just said. Yeah, I think she deserves very more time. good. Very good stuff. And another uh, member of the Birds of Prey, uh, Mary Elizabeth Winstead, is obviously getting a action film very soon, I think, called Kate, I believe. Is that what it's called? I think. I have no idea. Um, yeah, so I think we're going to see uh, a bit more of her as well, one of the, the the veterans of the Birds of Prey. Okay, obviously, that's not related to the, to the film, that's just her in a film. Yeah. Anyway, stop rambling. Uh, and we'll say goodbye for now. We'll see you next the week. The Eternal Trailer. Shakespeare episode, finally. Oh, the Eternal trailer the Eternals dropped, trailer, of course. Yeah, yeah, Chloe, Academy Award yeah, winner Chloe, Chloe Zhao's Eternals trailer dropped. Well, not in my book. I, I don't count the uh, the pandemic pandemic Oscars. Right. So, <laughs> thank you very much for listening, lads. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Sam H Media, and you can find my letterbox at Sam Houston. You can find Lewis on Twitter at uh, LJWR underscore and on Letterbox at LJWR. You can find us, the whole podcast, on there at uh, on, po- on on Twitter at Now Showing Pod, and you can f- contact us um, directly on Gmail at NowShowingPod at gmail.com Especially if you're one of our South African listeners, we really want to hear from you. Um, you can uh, give us the uh, a five star rating on iTunes or, or Apple, and that gets us higher up in the rankings. If you enjoyed our stuff, we are proud members of the Music City Driver Network. Uh, they post a whole host of other podcasts uh, and articles about film and football and music. Um, and yeah, you can find them all there on their website or on Twitter at mcdipod. Thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Say goodbye. <laughs>